Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Iserlow and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Oh, the NBA play-in tournament tips off. We got an upset in one game, and we have overtime in the other. Two teams have punched their tickets to the first round of the NBA playoffs as the seven seeds. The other two still have a chance to get in as they await to play the winner of tonight's play-in tournament games, which includes your New Orleans Pelicans, which... Had some great news yesterday as Zion spoke to the media. And it wasn't head-scratching at all. And it wasn't a contradiction at all. And it seems like he and the team are on the same page. (laughs) Well, yeah. Good morning. Welcome to RP3 and Company. I'm your big, bald, and beautiful host, Raymond Parch III. Got a bit of pep in my step today. Yeah, what's that about? Oh, I, I I feel good for the first time all week. Look, man, after essentially sleeping most of Monday, Sunday, Monday, and part of Tuesday, I am refreshed and ready to go, my friend. I'm ready to chop it up with you for the next three hours and make glorious sports talk radio with you. Are you ready? Are, are you ready to join me on this journey? Yes. That's why you're the producer extraordinaire, Dawson Iserlo, a.k.a. D-Lo, a.k.a. Two Degrees, a.k.a. Producer Extraordinaire, a.k.a. the new Mr. LSUE, possibly, possibly. I'll have to talk to my guy, Chad Jones, about that if he wants to give up that title or not. Just letting you know. We do have a tremendous show lined up for you today. We're going to talk all things LSU with the mad dog, our buddy, Hollywood Higgins, Ron Higgins columnist from Tiger Details. We'll talk Raging Cajuns. They got a big win on the diamond last night against Louisiana Tech. Jay Walker will join us. And then Andrew Juge from the Saints Half Hour Podcast is scheduled to join us to talk all things black and gold. Of course, we'll take your phone calls. Game hotline is always open. You know that. We want to hear from you. We love to hear from you. We appreciate you making us part of your morning commute. 337-706-0111. That's 337-706-0111. And we'll get to what Zion had to say for himself. That was exciting. You You loved what you heard there? Dawson, can we go and give a sneak peek there? You loved what you heard there? It was better than not hearing anything at all, which is what was previously the case. So I am okay with what was said, yes. There we go. There we go. We'll get to that. But first up... We got to lead off with NBA playing tournament tipped off last night. First game was the Atlanta Hawks. They were below 500 on the season. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, D'Lo. They fired their coach during the season. Do believe so. Yes. So they're a bit of a mess. And their star player, who is a very good player, 
maybe great Trey Young has been disgruntled with the organization. The Hawks are what we call a bit of a mess. And they had to go take on the Miami Heat. And the Heat, with a veteran coach, a veteran team, appeared to be the favorite, appeared to be the team that should have won the game. But the thing that's held Miami back all season long has been its consistency. The Heat will look great one night when they beat one of the best teams in the East. And you're like, wow, the Miami Heat are going to be a dangerous team. And then they'll inexplicably lose to the Pistons. And you go, what? Inconsistency has plagued this team. They tried to run it back this year. They didn't make any major moves in the offseason. And they were inconsistent. They ended up having to be in the playing tournament. But you still thought, hey, they got this. They're going to beat the Atlanta Hawks. Well, not so much. Trey Young drops 25 points. Clint Capella, that's a name I haven't mentioned in a while, grabbed 21 boards, and the Hawks earned the number seven seed in the Eastern Conference playoffs by beating the Miami Heat in Miami 116-105 to last night. DeAndre Murray added 18 points for the Hawks, who avenged a five-game round one loss to Miami last season and earned an Eastern Conference first-round matchup with the Boston Celtics that will start on Saturday. If I'm Boston, we talked about this a little bit yesterday, D'Lo. If I'm Boston, I'm like, oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. The Hawks have no chance against the Celtics. None. None whatsoever. So congratulations to Atlanta for getting the seventh seed. Now you get to go play Boston. Good luck with that. That's the crazy thing about the playing tournament. You can have one good game and you earn a spot in the playoffs that you, in you know, most years, in the old format, the pre-COVID Pandemic shutdown, have to go to the bubble in Orlando format. Atlanta would be at home. But Miami struggled. And the Hawks earned the seven seed. That's going to be a nice walk in the park for the Celtics. Kyle Lowry scored 33 points, his highest total during his two seasons in Miami, by the way. But it wasn't enough. Now Miami will have to wait. And they'll take on either the Toronto Raptors or the Chicago Bulls on Friday to decide the number eight seed and a spot in the Eastern Conference playoffs against the number one overall seed, the Milwaukee Bucks. I still like Miami to somehow get the eight seed. That they got too much veteran. They have too many veteran guys. They have guys that have been in big moments with Jimmy Butler and Kyle Lowry. Like they know what to do here. They have a veteran coach. There should be no reason why they lost last night. But yet, because they're so inconsistent and they're flawed, it feels like it feels like for Miami Dawson that we've seen their ceiling, and that it may be time for a little mini rebuild down on South Beach. 
That'll probably be the case. But the big loser of the night might be Milwaukee, just because, and I don't think they'll lose the series, but I think they are going to play Miami now, and I think that's going to be a much tougher series than any of the three alternatives. So oh, absolutely. I think, I think Milwaukee got the, the their worst case, their mini worst case scenario. Again, I, I think Milwaukee will be fine. I think they win that series in maybe six games, but like I think it might go to six games, which I think any of the other teams they played, I think it might have been a sweeper or five game series. So um, Because we'll Toronto, see. Chicago, and Atlanta are awful. Right. I mean, uh, not awful, but but not not teams that can challenge the best team in the East. Correct. Miami has some guys on there that can challenge. And look, Tyler Hero gave him 26 last night. Lowry gave him 33. Jimmy Butler had 21. Just defensively, they had breakdowns, and they're just so inconsistent. So the Hawks upset the Heat in the first game. Well, the nightcap was the one that New Orleans Pelicans fans were paying attention to. Minnesota Timberwolves, with all of their dysfunction. Remember, they had suspended Rudy Gobert for last night's play-in game because he punched his own teammate during the regular season finale against the Pelicans. (laughs) So, So, down one player for a broken hand, down another player because he was suspended. And the way they started that game, Dawson, I was like, ooh, Timberwolves are here. Like, they came out and they played hard and they executed. You had Carl Anthony Towns out there shooting three-pointers and making them, and you're like, ooh, T-Wolves. They're going to go right into L.A., whatever they call the Staples Center now. It's not the Staples Center anymore, right? Last I checked, it is the Crypto.com arena. Oh, this it's just awfulness. Just awfulness. <laughs> just... <sighs> <laughs> I remember when the Lakers used to play in the Forum, but that that shows you how old I am. And I remember it fondly. But credit LeBron and the Lakers because they responded and they made the plays that they needed to. They forced overtime. They win it in overtime. It was a dogfight for L.A., but they win 108-102 to They get the seven seed now in the West, and they get to play the Memphis Grizzlies. And I'm fascinated by that playoff series. Because on paper, Memphis should truck L.A. They have a better overall team. They have a far better guard. They have great role players. They're younger. They're faster. They have more depth. And it feels like Memphis is, is feels like we're building towards Memphis breaking through and going from, hey, they're that young, spunky team to now they're the team that you don't want to face. So they're the team that you want to hate. But AD's been here before. LeBron has been here before. I think Memphis is going to have their hands full. Well, and Memphis's depth's being questioned too, or, or not questioned, tested. Yeah, tested. I would say. Yep. With Stephen Adams, I think he's already been ruled out for this entire series, and you know Dylan Brooks came back and he's been playing, but he's had some injuries, so you're concerned there. The the crazy thing about that game is if Minnesota gets anything from Anthony Edwards, who was outstanding against the Pelicans, if they get anything from him, they win the game. I was stunned. I was stunned by how poor, because when we talked about this game yesterday, I go, who does L.A. have that's going to slow down Edwards? That should have been a huge matchup advantage for Minnesota 
But Edwards just had one of those nights. I mean, the guy was 3 of 17. Like, it's just an awful night shooting. Awful. Yeah, and if you subscribe to Kevin Foote's line of thinking, it's not good news for the Pelicans if they were to get to Minnesota because you don't typically see him have two nights in a row like that, you know, so that might be something you're concerned about. But He was 0 for 9 from three-point range as well. That's not going to happen yeah. again. That's not going to happen in back-to-back games. You're right. Yeah. So, look, Carl Anthony Towns, 24 points, 11 boards. I thought he probably would have scored more points, you know, Mike Conley Jr. still out there playing at his advanced age. He gave him 23. But, you know, Anthony Davis, 24 and 15, efficient 10 of 19 from the field. I know we love to bag on AD. I get it because he left New Orleans. He didn't want to play here. He didn't want to play in Louisiana. He was tired. That's all, folks. T-shirt. I get it. But when healthy, when he's on, He's really good. He's really good. And if he's going to be on and LeBron is LeBron, and once again, that's the big question, are we going to see vintage playoff LeBron for an extended series? Does he still have that in the tank? Probably for an opening round series. Now, are the Lakers built, and is LeBron going to be able to go Six, seven games, round one, two. That I don't. That I don't trust. But look what he did last night: thirty points, ten rebounds, six assists. He just makes it look so easy. We forget it's a. We're to this point now in LeBron's career because injuries have kind of slowed him down the last couple of years, and the Lakers have been trash. We forget and take for granted his greatness. We just do. It's one of those things where we have LeBron fatigue and it's like, well, we're just ready for him to be done. He's still great. He's still great. And he still knows how to win. D'Angelo Russell. <laughs> the Lakers won last night with their starting point guard scoring two points. Two. Modern NBA point guard scoring two points and you still win. Now you're going to need you're going to need D'Angelo to do better than that and perform better than that. But they got contributions elsewhere. Reeves gave him 12 points. They got 12 points. Schroeder gave him 21 points off the bench. So Lakers move on. And I love that series. I'm fascinated by that series. I still like Memphis in that series. Don't get me wrong. I still like the Grizzlies to win that series. But man, I it is going to be fascinating to watch because all the buzz about Memphis and all and is great of a core that they have, Dawson. And I know we got a timeout. But they haven't won anything, right? They haven't proven that they can win anything. LeBron's proven he can win something. Even AD has proven that he can win something and be the second banana to LeBron and help him win something. The Grizzlies don't have that. They just don't. Eventually, you have to break through and get that. But if, I, if I'm the Grizzlies, I am not thrilled. <laughs> I am not thrilled that we have to face LeBron James and, and Anthony Davis in the first round of the playoffs. I just... Now, 
That said, Minnesota will now host the winner of tonight's Western Conference play-in game number two. New Orleans Pelicans host Oklahoma City Thunder inside the Smoothie King Center. Tip is set for 8.30. If the Pellies win, they advance to take on Minnesota. And that will happen on Friday. And then the winner of that game will be the eight seed, which means they'll be rewarded with getting to have to play the Denver Nuggets in the two-time defending MVP. Yeah, Yay! If the Pellies lose tonight... Their season has come to an end. We got to take a timeout. When we return here on RP3 and Company, Zion Williamson. He spoke to the media yesterday and he had some interesting things to say. We'll share that with you and respond to it next, right here on the game. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Tune in every weekday at 8.15 a.m. and 3.15 p.m. for the LSU Sports Update. Presented by Tibbs Trailers here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Uh, I mean, physically, I'm fine. Now it's just a matter of, uh, like, when I feel like Zion. Um, you know, I, I know the atmosphere I'd be entering uh, based off, like, the playoff experience. Uh, so now it's just a matter of when I feel like Zion. That was Zion Williamson. Unexpectedly talking to the media yesterday. And... He says when he feels like Zion again. Okay. When is that exactly going to be? How is that going to be? We've had nothing but weirdness involving him and the Pelicans. From jump. Go back all the way back to his rookie year when they pulled him out of the summer league. It has been a weird thing of it's never felt like they are on the same page. It never feels like they communicate well with each other. There's one narrative that Griff puts out there or Griff puts out through the sources that he likes to give information to because every team does that, by the way. There's Zion in his camp. And they, for the most part, have never really blended. And it's made the whole thing weird. And we've talked about transparency. And we talked about how Griff said they mishandled the whole thing the previous year when Zion just left the team and was hanging out in Portland for all the season. And remember, last year, it began at media day where he was hobbling a little bit, but like, oh, okay, well, he's going to play. He's here at media day. And then, no Zion. And no real explanation. And they don't hear from Zion. And they're like, oh, Zion's in Portland. And CJ McCollum has to go on TV and say, well, I haven't talked to Zion yet. I reached out, but I haven't heard back yet. What? It's all weird. But yet when you see him interact with his teammates, it seems five by five. Seems like there's no issue, right? 
He's likable. When he does play, he can be a dominant player. His teammates seem to like him. Doesn't seem to be any friction there, right? But there's weirdness all around it. So after the Pelicans announced that, hey, the big fella who was supposed to be back for the All-Star break but then re-aggravated things and then was supposed to be back later and we kept getting updates every two to three weeks and it kept getting pushed and pushed and pushed and the can kept getting kicked and kicked and kicked and kicked. You know, look, this guy ain't playing. Dawson and I told you this weeks ago. The likelihood of him playing was slim to none. So they finally release a statement and there's reports where the Pelicans are like, you know, it comes down to a conditioning thing. I've been told by people it really comes down to a body mass index thing. Because Zion has that weird frame and he's carrying a lot of weight and the Pelicans want him to be at a certain amount of weight. And that's the weight they want him to play at. Well, the big fella who's nursing the hamstring is not at that weight. And he may want to go out there and play. But the the narrative that we had before yesterday was Pelicans want him to be at a certain weight. They don't believe that he's conditioned the way he needs to be conditioned and that they're not going to put him out there, even if it's only for 10 to 15 minutes. Because a lot of people have been asking, well, why not just let him play for 10 or 15 minutes? At least you'll get him for that, and that may help you win, right? But the Pelicans, they've invested all that money into the face of the franchise. He's like the bubble boy. They're not going to do that. He's going to have to meet a requirement for him to be essentially allowed to play for his team. Zion was asked, so, you know, he said, I'll play when I feel like Zion. That's great. But he was directly asked yesterday, what is holding you back from getting back onto the court? If you're saying that you're physically able, what's holding you back? Um, it's a little bit of a mental battle. Because, uh, you know, when I uh, re-aggravated it back in February, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, it was tough. So when I go to make certain moves, there is that hesitation. Sometimes there's not, but sometimes there is. And uh, I understand the magnitude of these games coming up, and I don't want to be out there hesitating or doing something that may affect my team in a bad way. If that's the truth, I totally understand that. Look, the the kid has been banged up his entire pro career. It does get to a point where it becomes a mental thing. And he probably didn't feel that way before he re-aggravated the hamstring. But then he came, tried to come back, and he re-aggravated the injury. So now it's on his mind. Every time he makes a move, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it again. Right? So I can buy into that. Here's my problem. Why, why weren't we told this weeks ago? That's, that's, where, that's where it is. That's, that's, that's the question that should be asked. I don't have any problem with what he said. Um, it, it does sound like he's going through some things mentally. I don't want to speculate at all. I'm not going to do that about mental health and, and whether there's anything else going on there. That's Time up out. to him. You have two degrees. One of them is not in mental health? Um, no. And oh. even if it was, I don't think I'm in any position to speculate. But anyway. I mean, you are D-Lo. 
but go ahead. He I'm, does. I'm, it does sound like he's got some, you know, mental battles going on as as well as finishing up the physical. You know, although he says he's physically fine. But why didn't that? Why wasn't that communicated to everyone a couple weeks ago? I just feel like I, I don't. And again, I, obviously, not everybody would have said, "Oh, that's fine." But I think the majority of people would have accepted that as a reasonable reason that he has isn't back yet. And at the very least, there would have been much less speculation. But instead, we've had all these rumors swirling around. Is there is there a rift between him and the team? Does he not get along with management? Does he not want to play? Do they not want him to play? Does there are they going to trade him? This like all these questions have been asked, like valid or not. And and you, I feel you could have avoided most of that by just being transparent again. And like it, I'm glad he got up and did it yesterday because we weren't even expecting it. And that's better than it happening next week. I just don't know why it took so long. And once again, it goes back to the other point. The message the team sent out is not the same message Zion sent out. The team has indicated that it's his weight. The team has indicated it's his conditioning. Zion sat there and told the members of the media that were there, oh, it's not a physical thing, it's a mental thing. Once again, two different narratives I can't remember the last time we've seen this where the face of the franchise and the general manager, basketball operations leaders, group, are not on the same page. They are wildly different. And how do you find common ground? Because... Obviously, there is some sort of disconnect. You can call it a riff, whatever it is, between he and his camp and Griff and the team. The players, no. Him and Willie Green, no. No issue there. No issue with his teammates. So that's a good thing because it's not a locker room distraction. A locker room cancer. But this is the guy that's the face of your franchise. and like, It does not seem to me And look, I've been on the radio for four years, four-plus years now, talking sports. I've been covering sports for 25 years. I've covered it all, high school, college, pro, minor league, everything. They don't have any common ground. The player in the team and the people running the team How are you going to have a successful franchise if that's the case? And I think that's a legitimate question that can be asked about the Pelicans and Zion moving forward. And after the press conference went out yesterday, D'Lo, I'm on a text thread with some old friends of mine, some old sports colleagues. Some of them are Pels fans. Some of them just appreciate, you know, the game. And they're like... No offense to Zion, but we're just we're just we're just tired. We're, we're just tired. We're tired of trying to figure this out. We're trying. We're, we're tired of all of this. We wish them nothing but the best, but we're, we're all exhausted. Fan fatigue is a real thing. Your star player, the face of the franchise, the franchise savior. And the guy that drafted him, the guy that's made him the franchise savior, they are not on the same page. That's a big problem. 
we got to take a timeout. We'll take your phone calls. Game hotline's open, 337-706-0111. That's 337-706-0111. More RP3 and company coming up right here on the game. This is RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is RP3 and company. Live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Um, it's tough. It's tough. I can't lie. It's... It's tough. From my perspective, I just want to play basketball. I want to hoop. I want to do play the game I love. But the reality of it is, whether I check my phone, whether I'm just watching TV, no matter what it is, I can't really escape. You know what the what the world thinks, what people what people's opinions are. So uh, nah, it's it's frustrating. Zion Williamson talking about how hard it is to look at the big picture. Look, it's probably immensely difficult. Totally understand that. And I can also understand the trepidation that he has with the injury because now it's, it's it's in his head. The hamstring is a tricky injury as it is. Now, he didn't have a full-blown tear, but he came back and re-injured it. So now in his brain is, and he even admitted to that, he doesn't want to hold his team back. So he's not playing, from his perspective, he's telling us that he's not playing because he can't be himself out there. And he feels like if he's not himself, 100% himself, physically and mentally, that it hurts the team. Now, one could argue that 75% of Zion is still better than nothing and that he wouldn't make a huge impact in the game and could probably help his team win. So, I get it's probably frustrating. You can hear it in his voice. That doesn't sound scripted to me. I could be wrong. I've interviewed a lot of players interviewed a lot of coaches over the years some you a lot of times you know when they're kind of trying to give you a line of crap that doesn't sound that way to me I, I it it sounds like he believes that now whether or not that's the truth that's a different discussion whether or not he believes that he's physically in shape, He may believe he's physically in shape. The Pelicans may say, well, you may think you're in shape, but you're not in the shape that we need you to be in. I think that's probably part of it as well. But you can tell in his voice, the kid's not happy. And once again, fourth year in the league, and Zion Williamson still is a great what-if Let's head out to the game hotline. 
Halftime is waiting. Halftime, good morning to you, brother. Hope you had a happy Easter, my friend. What's on your mind, my, my, my bud? Uh, happy belated Easter to you, too, guys. Um, what I wanted to say, you kind of said it just now. I think it's a little bit of both. Uh, I think he's, well, not both, but I think he's a real genuine kid. And we got to remember, he's still a kid. And I I have no problem with him, with, with what he said about, you know, mentally he's not ready. If you look at his style of game, he's so explosive. So when you when you play like that, any little movement you do can reaggravate the injury. And I was going to uh, ask you if you think that might be what it is, what you just said. Him being a kid and knowing he could move around and play, but still mentally he's scared that if I make this movement, I'm going to reaggravate the injury. You think it's a little bit of both of uh, the Pelicans saying, well, look, if you lose weight, you will be able to, or, you know, if you physically get in shape, you will be able to make that move. But he's feeling, I can make that move, but I'm scared because, you know, I'm I'm going to hurt myself. Oh, I think, uh, halftime, I think, I think you're spot on there. I, I think, look, I think it's a combination of two things. Mm-hmm. Zion's frame, I don't think, is supposed to carry that much weight. Exactly. exactly. Okay, so... And for him, I think the Pelicans have gotten to the point where they're like, look, you need to be at a certain percentage, whether that's a weight or, or BMI number or whatever it is, mm-hmm. where they're like, this is going to be better for you long term. You're going to be able to play more games by getting to this weight. But he's still young enough to believe that he's still Superman on some yeah, level, exactly. right? Exactly. So he's exactly. like, well, this is how I, I always play. So I think I think it's a combination of the two things. I think he's not where he needs to be in his conditioning and in his weight that the Pels want him to be at, and I think that's always going to be a battle. Remember, he showed up as three hundred pounds for rook as a rookie to camp. Yeah. So yeah. It, it's it's always going to be something. And look, I, I say that as a big fella myself. <laughs> okay. I, I, okay. So I, I get it, but. But it's also now a mental thing with him because yet it's another lost season. And look, he had so much promise this year. He looked like one of the top 10 best players in the league for the first two months of the season. That's what he looked like. That's how he played. And then it's another lost year. It's another lost year. So he does seem like a genuine dude. Do I think he has people in his camp that probably have given him poor advice? Yeah, yeah, but a lot of young kids that are supposed to be protected and are supposed to have older folks, whether that's dads or stepdads or uncles or grandfathers or preachers or agents that are supposed to be there to protect them and that are supposed to help them become men that are supposed to give them the right advice, we see it all the time, especially when it comes in the world of athletics. They don't because they have their own motives and they have their own agenda. And yeah, I agree. They they manipulate the young athlete. It's been a story as old as time. So I think that's part of what's going on. I think it's also him not being comfortable mentally now with the injuries. And then, mm-hmm. you know, the Pelicans are like, man, you got to lose some weight. You, you got to be a healthier version of yourself. And I have one more question for you. The other thing you guys were saying as far as for like the frustration, the fans and stuff, I think that's another problem. I think he's a real genuine kid, and he doesn't say what 
supposed to be said uh, PR-wise, if you get what I'm saying. Now, I mean, you, you're, you know, like reporter, you do interviews, and I think he, they want him to talk a certain way, and he's just being genuine. And I know, like you as a person that does interviews, you, you, you appreciate him being genuine instead of what the Pelicans want. I think that's another problem, too. I have no problem with either one. I have no problem with the Pelicans want to kind of try to hide what's going on because they feel they're protecting him. But just me being a straight-up person, I have no problem with Zion just being straight up what's going on and how he feels. So I think that's kind of a, a bad rift that's going on. There, with, there, with, there, there's well, Once again, back to my point, halftime. They're not on the same page. Appreciate the phone call, brother. Be safe okay. out there today, my friend. Halftime brings up some good points because I do think, you know, he was made the savior of the franchise. That's a tough thing. Remember, remember he comes to New Orleans. He's in the white suit. They have the huge pep rally that shuts down blocks of downtown New Orleans. Drew Brees gives him a jersey and tells him, the city's yours. That's a lot for a 19-year-old kid, man. That's a lot. And it's a lot. It just is. But they're not on the same page. And I don't think Zion has people in his corner that have his best interests at heart, which is, we've seen it over and over again. And look, and I think the Pelicans and how Griff handles himself and how they conduct business is weird. Both things can be true. We got to take a timeout. When we return here on RP3 and Company, we'll unveil the poll question of the week, which guess what? On Wednesdays is what? Foodie poll question of the week. I meant poll question of the day. Foodie poll question of the week. This was inspired by something that was made at the house last night for my daughter. We'll talk about it next here on RP3 and Company. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Oh, strong start to today's show. Talking NBA play-in tournament. Zion Williamson talking to the media. Good phone call there from halftime. Uh, we haven't even been able to get to our poll question of the day, which on Wednesdays is always our foodie poll question of the week. This is a good debate. What type of dish is macaroni and cheese? Is mac and cheese strictly a side dish? Or... Do you find yourself just eating a box of it by itself? Some people like their mac and cheese baked a little bit more on the higher end. Maybe put a little breadcrumbs on there. Okay. All that fancy stuff. Is it a side dish? Is it an entree by itself? Is it a late night snack? Raise your hand if you've ever at any time after 10 o'clock decide to make an entire box of macaroni and cheese and eat it right out of the pot. I raised my hand, by the way. <laughs> For all of those who are not inside the FCO Development Studios here in Upper Lafayette, I've raised my hand. Or is it all of the above? 
that you use it as a side dish, that you eat it as an entree, or that you have it as a late-night snack. I voted all of the above because I've done all of the above. (laughs) And, of course, our daughter wanted her favorite meal, and her favorite meal is my wife making baked chicken with macaroni and cheese. That's one of her favorite meals. So even though we're dieting, Tina went ahead and made it, and we had the baked chicken, you know, didn't sample the mac and cheese. The kid got to have the mac and cheese. Um, but, yeah. It's all of the above. It's all of the above. Yeah. I mean, you can easily add uh, some some chicken in there. You can add a little buffalo sauce. You'll have a buffalo mac all of a sudden. I mean, that's done in oh. two easy steps. Take leftover hot dogs and chop them up and put them in the mac and cheese, too. Uh, I'm not a big fan of that, but I, I you know, I You were never it. poor enough to enjoy that. That's fine. Oh, and listen, I've had quite a few ramen noodle evenings in my college days. Um, but, yeah, no, and, and as a side dish, is I would say the most traditional way, but easily. You add a little protein to it, which, you know, it's still mac and cheese. And even if you don't, you can still eat it as a main dish. And then, I mean, a late-night snack, anything can qualify as a late-night snack as long as you're, you know, able to eat it late night. There we go. Right now, 52% of you say just as a side dish. 48% say all of the above. No votes just for an entree. No votes for a late-night snack. It's going to be a battle, it looks like today. B-Rad says, by itself, it's a side dish, but add some meat and maybe some rotel to it, then you got an entree. Ralph says... I'd also categorize it as a comfort food. My mom made hers with spaghetti, so we call it spaghetti and cheese, but it was the highlight of every holiday meal, and we're talking homemade and not boxed right. It does not matter. I've ate it both ways. I've ate it on the stovetop. I've eaten it baked. It's all deliciousness. Keep those votes coming on our foodie poll question of the week. Keep those comments coming. Leave them on Facebook and Twitter, and we'll share them throughout today's show. Hour one in the books, hour number two coming up right here on the game. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Everything, everything, everything gonna be all right this morning. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Iserlow and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Welcome back to RP3 and Company. Our number two has arrived. We are broadcasting live from the Evco Development Studios here in Upper Lafayette. Just a reminder, Evco Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction. I'm the big, bald, and beautiful one, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. I'm joined in the studios by the producer extraordinaire, the man who has made many of you go by a thesaurus, Dawson Iserlo. When people comment about your knowledge your ability to be a wordsmith to use those five dollar college words that you obtain by going to the university of louisiana at lafayette and then later florida state university uh do you take that as a compliment yes um it it's it was it was strange at first i mean because so i went to a high school that was like 
for nerds, essentially. Like, you know, I mean, it was it okay. was an advanced studies high school. So, like, everybody. So it's not a public school. It, it is public by, it's a magnet school, it, it, but there it it's, a, it's a whole thing. But anyway. Um, <laughs> yes, magnet schools are a whole thing. Yes, you're Like correct. I wasn't, you know, not, I wasn't, you're not extraordinary there, no matter how smart you are, unless you're, you know what I mean? So like, again, like one of my very good friends from high school was quarterback of our football team. He's an actual rocket scientist right now. Like he's an aerospace engineer. Oh. So he went to MIT. So, so like, are you like the dummy of your friend group? No, I wouldn't say that. <laughs> I wouldn't say that. There's some, uh, and you know, at times we questioned some of the guys who got into the high school. Sometimes we questioned how they got past the test to get in. But, um, but anyway, so yeah, no, it was a. Uh, you know, I don't think of myself as like someone who uses extra vocabulary. But I mean, well, it's it's very. I'll good. run with it if that's what I'm going to be known Look, as. You're you're making the show better. Well, I appreciate you're that. elevating the show. That's all I should as to do long as you don't try to make this show bougie, we're going to be good. Yeah, I'm not sure you're using that word in the context you want to, but either way, no, I won't be. I won't be doing that. Doesn't that mean fancy, right? Yeah, yeah, high end fancy, right now. Yeah, right. so I guess if you're going, see, that angle, that's yeah, what I'm saying. Works. I mean, look, if you're inclined to use fancy vocabulary, you're going to be inclined to make things even fancier. That's okay. the, my my thought process. That's fair. See. You know, you're a nice dresser. You take good care of yourself. You use good words. You you got that. You got that good book learning. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, we've been having fun today. NBA playing tournament. Look, we can both agree, and we both agree on this. It's garbage. You're talking about, you know, I I miss the days where it's just like, hey, you're the seven seed, you're in the you're in the thing. You're the eight seed, you're in. But I get it. The pandemic happens and the NBA reacted in a way that they felt was best suited for that. And then they're like, hey, let's keep this around. And, and once they were able to crown a champion in the bubble down in Orlando with the playing tournament, I was like, it's never going away. I remember saying it on there. It's never going away now. They were like, hey, this worked. We're going to keep it. But you still have an opportunity. And last night, the Atlanta Hawks, despite in the old format, not even getting close to sniffing the playoffs, had a chance. And they seized the opportunity. And they took down Kyle Lowry and jimmy butler and the miami heat and trey young and the atlanta hawks punched their ticket to the eastern conference playoffs by earning the seven seed they'll take on boston and of course the celtics are like thank you miami now will play the winner of toronto versus chicago oh are you even gonna watch that game tonight honestly are you gonna watch raptors bulls no oh oh I threw up a little in my mouth just thinking about that game. It's all terrible. I don't think it's as bad as you're making it out, but yeah, I won't. I won't. I won't be locked in. Let's put it that way. I might see some of it, but I won't Ooh. be locked in. Ooh. Oof, oof, not, not. That's not quality NBA. That's not quality association. So Miami will wait to play the winner of that to figure out who's going to be the eight seed in the East. In the West, LeBron, AD, get the job done. Edwards has a game he'd like to forget. I was stunned by that. I thought I thought he would have gone off. 0 for 9 from three-point range. He was awful in the ball game. 
and the Lakers are able to gut out a win in overtime over the Minnesota Timberwolves. Lakers are now the seven seed in the West. They're going to take on Memphis. That's a wildly intriguing first-round playoff matchup. The Memphis Grizzlies have made themselves the villains of the NBA, but they haven't won anything yet. John Moran has all the -the off-the-court stuff. They have some injuries to some key guys. LeBron looks motivated. AD looks healthy enough. Uh, I still like Memphis to win that series, but man, that sure does. That's going to be one that I'm going to be following because that's going to be intriguing. Minnesota now will sit and wait to see who they're going to play. And they'll face the winner of tonight's game from the Smoothie King Center. Pelicans versus Oklahoma City Thunder. The Pels beat the Thunder three games to one during their four games in the regular season. But OKC has a legit star that can take over a game. which means they're going to have a chance. I know the Pels are the favorites. I think the line is five or five and a half. And they should win. They're going to be at home. But you know what? They should have beat Minnesota in the regular season finale after they had one of their players out of the game due to injury and Nas Reed, had another one in foul trouble in Carl Anthony Towns, had another one not allowed to play for the rest of the game because he punched a teammate and another guy broke his hand and they still found a way to lose. So you never do know what you're going to get from the Pellies. It's the day of the game. How do you feel, D'Lo? We're here now. Playing tournament is here for your New Orleans Pelicans. Are the Pelicans going to be the Pelicans? Or the Pelicans tonight when they take on the Oklahoma City Thunder tip scheduled for 8:30 inside the Big Blender. Yeah, I mean, I don't feel I I don't feel great. Like I, I don't feel I don't feel stupendous or anything like that. Now look at SGA is the X factor. I saw I saw I think it was a Thunder. It was the Thunder coach said something about the Pelicans double SGA more than anybody in the league. Um, I don't know if that's true, but I hope it's not because it hasn't worked. If that's what's <laughs> If that's the case, uh, SGA in four games this year has scored 31, 44, 24. And I pulled up the wrong thing for the last game. The, uh, the last game I know it was a lot because I was at the game covering it for the station and it was ugly. Um, you know, and, and so he's gone off essentially every time he's played the Pelicans. And so if, the, if it's true that they've doubled him more than any, 35 is how many he had in the fourth oh. matchup. So if it's true that they've doubled him more than any other team in the league, uh, they need to triple him, I guess, or you know double him with better defenders because it hasn't worked. So that worries me. Also, the Pels beat him three times, but they never beat him by more than four, and one of those games was in overtime. And the one game they did lose was by 14, and it wasn't even really that close. So I don't put a ton of stock into the fact that they beat him three games out of four. I think uh, also the first two that you beat him were with Zion. Oh, no. And so, you know, overall, I just, you know. do you? So you believe this is more of a coin flip game than others do? 
Yeah, no, I really do. I mean, I think the Pelicans are a better team, but it's not it's not by a it's not by a wide margin. Um, actually, yeah, no, Zion had twenty three in the first matchup, so he played pretty well there. Um, doesn't actually look like he played in the second one, so you had him for only one of those games. But you know, it's a different team now. It's it's obviously been a long time since, you know, you, you you haven't beaten them since February 13th. That was a close 103-100 game. You know, those first two games you beat them was one was in November and one was in December. December. I, you're not really the same basketball team and neither are they, you know. So that's also that's always the classic thing where if you have this this preseason matchup between college basketball teams and they meet up in the tournament you know you're you're trying to it's like you really can't take much from them. those teams were not the same teams when they played the first time around so you know same thing with the NFL if a team plays a team in weeks one through five and then they match up in the playoffs well yeah maybe you take some slight matchup things here and there but like overall those teams have progressed and gotten better or worse or you know injuries different players in there so yeah, I think it's going to be difficult. Now, I think, again, and I've said this all week, I think Jonas Valanciunas is the X factor, and I hope Willie Green actually decides to play him. That would be nice. But, you know, OKC <laughs> doesn't... Yeah, well, you know. OKC doesn't have a traditional center uh, that they play a ton. Um, you know, they, they, they kind of go with a smaller type lineup. And on one end, Jonas struggles defensively to keep up with some of the speed, but on the other end, he should be able to go to work offensively, you know? And, and Jalen Williams actually did have 17 points in the last game, who's who's your, you know, your center, quote-unquote. Uh, not Jalen Williams. I'm looking at the wrong guy. Never mind. Jalen. I'm just going to stop talking. They have two guys named Jalen Williams. I'm not going to take – I'm going to go ahead and give myself a pass here. I, I haven't – I'll be honest, I haven't been locked into the Thunder all season long. They have two separate guys that are both named Jalen Williams that were both in the starting lineup. So uh, that's the first numbers. The center, Jalen Williams, only had nine points in the last matchup. He is the guy from Arkansas. The kid from Arkansas. Yeah. The other Jalen Williams is a guard. I mean, that's just not really very polite to have two guys with the same exact name both in your starting lineup. But anyway. Well, you should you should send off a strongly worded email. Maybe that's a scouting thing. Maybe that's on purpose, right? I mean, that's difficult to scout. You got one Jalen Williams on your mind, and then they say, hey, go pick up Jalen Williams, and you go, all right, I got him, and then it's the wrong guy. Um, but all that being said... I think this is a game in which Jonas has to play well. And, you know, in that last game, in the one that they lost against the Thunder when SGA had 35, Jonas played well when he played, in my opinion. He played in only 16 minutes, though, and he had 13 points. Um, He had four rebounds. Now, they went away from him, and they played Jackson Hayes a lot in that game, which was interesting, and, and it was, you know, a combination of factors. And I thought Jackson Hayes actually gave you good minutes as well. But I think you need to have a presence inside, and I think you can honestly, if you commit to it, which they haven't done often, I think you can dominate this team in the paint and then slow the game down, slow the pace down to where you want to play, and I think you're the better team. It's just not it's not by as wide a margin as you know some would like to think. So Pelly's looking to move on to take on Minnesota again, but they have to get past Oklahoma City tonight inside the Smoothie King Center. We also heard from Zion Williamson yesterday, and he admitted that he doesn't feel comfortable being out there. He'll get back out there when he feels like himself. And he admitted that it's a mental thing. And that makes perfect sense. That mentally he feels like he's going to re-aggravate himself. 
But as I said in hour number one, I think this is a combination of things. He has such a unique build, his frame is carrying too much weight. And I think the Pels realize that as well. So I think they have requirements for Zion to get onto the court. And I think those requirements are, okay, big fella, your body mass index has got to be this number, your weight's got to be this number. And I don't think he's at either number. So from their perspective, he's not ready to go and they're not going to be ready to clear him because physically he's not where they believe he needs to be. He says physically he's ready to go, but mentally he's not there. Which one is true? Guess what? They both are. They both are. But that also has revealed yet again the disconnect between him in his camp, and David Griffin and the Pelicans. This is the face of your franchise. This is what you're hinging your fortunes on. This is what you're building your championship team around. And we're year four in this side and this side. The left hand doesn't know what the right hand's doing. And that is a massive, massive issue. It just is. And I don't know if they're going to be able to fix it. When we come back here on RP3 and Company, we'll head to the Diamond Busy Night. LSU, McNeese, UL, all in action. We'll get to you. Recap it all for you next right here on The Game. This is RP3 and Company on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. There are some hosts that talk like they know everything, but you don't have to worry about our guy, RP3. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. That's because he never knows what he's talking about. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. Back to the show in the know. RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Yeah, it did, and, and you know, I, I, I thought we'd have gotten a little bit better start, uh, but we didn't, and Coop, for some reason, has had those guys. Uh, he's thrown the ball really well against those guys the last two years in a row, and he settled it in, and uh, offensively, I thought we were just a, a spark away and wound up, uh, what, in the fifth there, uh, finding our groove, and then John Taylor had a big blow uh, there in the seventh, I think it was. So uh like the way we're playing and keep it rolling. Louisiana Raging Cajun skipper Matt Deggs on his team's 10-5 win over Louisiana Tech last night at the Teague. Look, Raging Cajuns found themselves down early one to nothing, but in the bottom of the first, Heath Hood, who can hit the ball a long way, by the way, in case you were wondering, Dawson, in case that was you're curious, <clears throat> he can hit the ball a very long way. He hit a solo shot to right field. Win may have helped it a little bit, but that tied up the game 1-1. Now, Tech retook the lead and took advantage of a throwing error and went up 3-1. But then the Raging Cages came back again, was able to get a run back in the second. 
This was a back-and-forth affair. And then Hood gave the Cajuns the lead in the fifth with a two-run triple to the gap in right center field. That made it 5-3 Cajuns. Then Carson Rockefort singled to right to score Hood. That made it 6-3. And after an error put both runners in scoring position, John Taylor came up, sacrificed the first, scoring Rockefort and pushing it to 7-3. Tech, though, was not done. Two-run blast into right field, made it 7-5 after the sixth inning. But then John Taylor said, you know what? I'm not done. And he then took a pitch and sent a rocket over the right field wall for a two-run home run. To make it 9-5, the Cajuns tacked on another run. 10-5, they'll be back in action tonight when they make the short trip down to Hammond to take on the Southeastern Louisiana Lions. Southeastern Louisiana has been a bit of a struggle this year. They've had some injuries, and they're towards the bottom of the Southland Conference standings. But despite that, Matt Degg said afterwards in last night's game, that they're going to have to play at the same level, the same intensity, and execute the same way they did against Louisiana Tech Wednesday night tonight against Southeastern. That's what you saw tonight. we got to pitch it good and, and keep making, you know, routine plays. I, it, one of the errors is kind of an anomaly. I, you know, Zambo tripped on the turf, and we wind up throwing it into left center, or we're going to get that out right there. Uh and then shock, I think that's just a little bit of inexperience. Uh, really, that's only his, in, in my mind, like his first error. We got an error where he threw a long hop that we dropped over there, but that was an experienced play. So you got Corona hitting, which is the catcher. And Shock has a big arm. He just needs to take two giant steps back immediately and use his arm. And we just kind of stood our ground and, and uh, it, it short hopped So, look, there's always going to be things to work on, but Louisiana Tech has traditionally been a good program. Are they as good this year as they have been in years past? No. But that's still an old-school in-state rival, and you took them down, and you got yourself a midweek win, and now you're going to go down to Hammond and try to get you another. So you got the job done. That's really all that matters. Speaking of getting the job done, the LSU Tigers, top-ranked team in the country. They went on the road to take on Tulane, and they won the game 11-5. Braden Bear and Tommy White each drove in three runs to lead the Tigers to the victory over Tulane down in New Orleans. LSU improves to 27-5 and overall on the year, while Tulane dropped to 9-24. and What happened to the Green Wave? Uh, honestly they have cratered like I knew they were going to have some issues but did you anticipate Tulane being one of the worst teams in the country no I don't I don't know if they're one of the worst teams in the country but they're they're nine and 24 dude right they've played a ridiculously tough schedule they're they're very bad uh they're they're one of the worst teams in their own conference at least which well we'll see they're three and three in conference play but no it, it was never expected to be this bad um, the pitching was expected to maybe be a work in progress, but the offense was supposed to be pretty good. It hasn't been. 
Um, you know, look, they, they did something that doesn't happen often when you fire your head coach and you hire one of his assistants to replace him. You know, I, I, I kind of scratched my head when that, that happened, and, and, and right now I'm sure, um, you know, they're kind of scratching their heads uptown. We'll see. You know, I think obviously you, you have to give him a little bit of time, see if he can figure things out here, but um, it has not been the year that they were anticipating for what's a proud program. And to be honest, I've been, you know, I followed the Tulane baseball program for a long time, and it's, it's, it's the worst team I can remember um, over there. So that's, that's not great for them. There you go. There you go. Hey, bud, they got a couple of wins against Columbia, so they got that working for them, so that's good. Uh, they did lose three games to Hawaii, where they scored one run in each one of the games. So we'll revisit them being one of the worst teams in the country. <laughs> later on. Later on. There's still plenty of season left for the Green Wave to turn things around, but they look just terrible. LSU reliever Bryce Collins was the third of six LSU pitchers. He earned the win by blanking Tulane over two and two-third innings, allowing no hits with two walks and two strikeouts. Joe Bear collected three RBIs with a run-scoring single and a two-run homer, and White provided a two-run double on a sacrifice fly as LSU recorded 19 hits, third-highest output of the season. That's called what we like to call teeing off on the pitching. That's that's what that is. Tulane did add a run in the bottom of the ninth, but LSU reliever Thatcher Hurd entered the game and recorded the final three outs, including striking out two green wave batters. So LSU keeps rolling right along. They now gear up for a three-game set starting on Thursday through Saturday against the Kentucky Wildcats of the number 12 ranked team in the country. The McNeese Cowpokes. Woo. Midweek contest. Louisiana Christian, formerly known as Louisiana College. That's that's uh, we're talking D3. Okay. Yeah. Not <laughs> not complete. I I'll get fired up around basketball season when the Cajuns do it. I, I don't fully quite understand the idea of playing these types of teams in meaningful games, but midweek contests for teams in the Southland, you don't have many options. Uh, I don't know. You, you've got like, what, 12 Division One baseball schools in Louisiana? I think you got options. Plus a handful in Mississippi and plenty in Texas right next to you in Houston in that area. I mean, you got. I mean, it's okay. It, it's one game. It's not a huge deal. I just don't really fully understand the logic. It's a, it's kind of a no-win situation. If you beat them, you're not getting points for it. It's not recognized as a game. Correct. But if you lose to them, it's disastrous. So, I, I don't – anyway, that's that's a different point. I, 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 I will defend McNeese since you want to come out hard against the Cowboys and say I would probably go out on a limb and say that, you know, the scheduling be what it was. LSU was playing Tulane. UL was playing Louisiana Tech. Probably not a lot of options for that date. And who else are you going to play? So that's that's I my mean, only pushback. You came out hard against McNeese no, yeah, and our folks in Lake McNeese. Chuck. It's not against obviously, McNeese because, again, I Obviously, say, D-Lo's not going to be spending any time over in Lake Charles. Oh, here you go. So. I started that point by saying I the, the most strongly I feel about is when UL does it in basketball and plays a lot I of non-division. I, I, mean, I, 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 I think it's one of those things where it's like, we need a game, so that's what's going to happen. Yeah, they they, they don't play like three game series against them. So right. you know, they they you know. They, anyway, they won. They did win. That's what I was trying to get to. But you got fired up about about uh, them playing, taking on. 
the poor Wildcats out of Pineville. And man, man comes out strong. Apparently someone that attended LC hurt Dawson in his younger years. Cameron Lejeune came out of the bullpen to throw four scoreless innings while allowing just one hit and striking out three to help lead McNeese to a 3-0 midweek win over Louisiana Christian there in Lake Charles, despite a 40-minute lightning delay prior to the start of the ninth inning. Uh, Lejeune followed starter Christian Vega, who threw three scoreless and hitless innings, striking out five and walking two. Cowboys improved to 21-11 and on the season with the win and will now play Rice on Wednesday night. The Owls had their hands full, but were able to pull out a 7-3 win against Lamar on Tuesday. So there you go, bud. See, they're playing a team from Texas, but it's tonight for their other midweek game. Is, is does that get your does that get your that's, approval? That's fine. That's that would that was just my general point. You have Rice, Sam Houston. I mean, you have a ton of teams that are within two hours worth, right? But anyway, it's fine. It's not a big deal. It's not going to affect you know their long term program stability. Look. The, the Southland's a one-bit one league, right? I, it's a little bit different when you're playing in the SWAC in the Southland because you understand you're a one-bit league. So the only thing that really matters for you, we can talk about RPI and everything like that. The only thing that really matters is winning your conference tournament because that's the only way that you're getting to an NCAA region. We got to take a timeout. When we return... We'll talk LSU with our guy, Ron Higgins. Mad Dog. That's right, the columnist from Tiger Details. He'll join us next right here on The Game. This is RP3 and Company on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is RP3 and Company. Live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Oh, the LSU baseball team keeps rolling right along, getting a win last night against. Tulane, they're gearing up for a three-game set against number 12, Kentucky. Spring football wraps up this week as well for Brian Kelly. To give us his insight on both of those things is a man who's an award-winning columnist, reporter. He's also a well-respected movie and television extra. And a man who should write his own travel guide for cruise ships, Ron Higgins from Tiger Details joins us now. Mad Dog, good morning, brother. How are you? I'm good, man. And I, I will say one thing. LSU ends up at spring uh, spring game is a week from Saturday uh, because I asked Brian Kelly to move it to that weekend so I could go to Cabo next week. So. <laughs> and he did, so I appreciate that. Uh, yeah. oh, oh, BK doing you a solid. That's nice of him. That's nice yeah, of them, yeah. You know, it's uh, I said, hey, BK, my wife uh, won this trip on a business trip, and actually, it's a, a leisure trip, but she won because of her business. I said, it's a big deal. She won this award, and uh, can you like make sure that game's on that Saturday? Because I get back that Friday. He goes, sure, Ron, anything for you. I said, well, good, I appreciate it. I said, tell the boys hello for me. So. <laughs> uh, look. I've always found spring football in itself just to be silly, just to be a lot of silliness, right? Sometimes yeah, you get to you get to see 
freshmen come in and, and maybe they can uh, you know, uh, get a chance to shine and maybe you can work on some things. But it, it's, you know, it's just practice. But that being said, after the year Brian Kelly had, this is really his first full spring up and running. Um, what has kind of stood out to you from what you've seen and what has kind of stood out to you from what you've heard about what's happening with the LSU football team this spring? I've seen a lot of a lot of young guys were getting their chance to, to, to shine because there's so many people uh, – Covering from surgery, being held out, uh, but I mean the quarterbacks are there. Both of them are play, have played really well. Uh, what we're told, uh, uh, the running back room is thin because of injuries. Uh, but uh, the guys who were there have, uh, you know, have played well. Uh, you know, Noah Kane has been the leader of the running back room. Senior from uh, senior from Baton Rouge who. Uh, Kyle was a short yardage TD specialist last year. Uh, freshmen getting a chance to shine. There was a bunch of, uh, as well as a bunch of newcomers uh, who are there, uh, the, the transfers uh, and and the uh, and the freshmen. Uh, there's like, I think, fourteen or fifteen transfers are participating. Uh, uh, or, um, fourteen transfers are there for this for the for the. Spring practice one will be in in the fall, and uh, I think there's uh, 12, 12 and twenty six freshmen are there, something like that. So a lot of new faces out there uh, getting their chance. Uh, and the fact that and Harold Parkins gets, I mean Kelly gets a Harold Parkins question every every press conference uh, because Harold Parkins was learning how to play be a linebacker, a complete linebacker, not just a pass rusher. And he'll figure heavily in, into their plans. Uh, but you know, when the spring game comes up, it's uh, it's all vanilla. Uh, the only difference is uh, under Les Mile, that was his offense during the fall too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, like, bravo! The fall, would, the fall would roll around like what? We, that was the thing, same thing we had in the spring, wasn't it? Okay. So uh, now I know. Look, Jane Daniels is the guy. And I expect him to maybe even take a step this season. I think we're kind of underrating what his potential could be for this next year, year two in this system. But I know they were divvying up a lot of the reps during spring football. We know Jane's going to be the guy, but what about the other guys in-house, including Garrett Nussmeyer? Well, Nussmeyer is going to be – he's going to see some action. There's no, you know, there's no doubt about that. Uh, had a good bowl game. Uh, played a lot better last year. Uh, with Garrett, it's all about decision making. It, it's just pretty funny. You got a dynamic. You got one quarterback and Jane Daniels, who's too careful in his reluctance to throw the ball downfield. Then you got Nussmeyer, who sometimes doesn't really care about who's standing out there. No, he doesn't. And he'll find, so you got these wide contrasts. And the thing is, you kind of got to bring them both together in the middle. And, and that, that's kind of really, you know, Kelly talked about how much they're working on this spring. I mean, Daniels is working on going downfield more. That's Nuss, and Nussmeyer's always just his decision-making. So it's a, if you had both of them in one, you'd have a hell of a quarterback. Uh, but I, I like the fact they're kind of two different styles a little bit. Uh, and they could complement each other. Uh you know, you'd like to see. I mean, one of Jaden's biggest strength, strength is his running. Uh, I, I, you know, I like to see him maybe 
throw a little bit more this year uh, just to protect himself. I thought at the end of the year, I mean, he got beat up and worn down. I think it's a major reason why he lost the A&M game. He was so beat up going into the game, he could barely move. Uh, and, uh, and and he wasn't, he wasn't a spry chicken against Georgia either in, in the championship game. So uh, I, I think he needs to, if, when he can, protect himself a little bit more. But obviously, he's a. Uh, if he didn't run the way he did last year, LSU wouldn't, wouldn't have gone uh, 10 and 4. I mean, and, 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 you know, been in a championship game. So it's part of his strength, but he's got to figure out how to use it. Now, we know Kayshawn Butte is gone to the NFL. And we know they're going to have Malik Neighbors, who has great chemistry with Jaden. Brian Thomas will be back. But, you know, the slot wide receiver spot seems to be wide open, especially with Aaron Anderson out. Kyron Lacey, Chris Helton, maybe even some freshmen like Jalen Brown and Kyle Parker could be in the mix. Uh, who's kind of stood out to you? Who's going to be stepping into that role, being that number three wide out in this offense? I think it's I think it's a wide open type deal. I, I think they're they're really interested. Uh, I mean, they're they're really. I mean, I mean you forgot Sheldon Sampson Jr. coming in the, in the fall. Yeah. Also, uh, I mean, they're going to have a lot of choices. Uh, you know, I, I'm interested in seeing how Aaron Anderson does. He's five eight one eighty, kind of short, and low to the ground. But uh, you know, and we, we forgot Kyron Lacey. He's still. Uh, he's still there, and he's six two and two twelve. He has that physical build to be an inside receiver. Uh, they got options. This right now, right now, it's like uh, you see glimpses of stuff, but you don't see uh, what it you know because of so many injuries. What it can be, or the, when the full complement gets there. I mean, I think that's probably they're, they're, they're handling this thing. They're not. Uh, I think Brian Kelly is really and his staff are really smart about spring practice. They realize what it's for. I mean, uh, you know. And they're not going to press the issue on injuries. Uh, when they see, and they'll, they'll, be, they'll get working at certain positions for guys who've shown up. But the freshman tight ends have been really good. Trey Holly uh, at, at running back is a, you know, is a stood out. So they've had some freshmen come in and, and, and make their uh, make their presence known, or as, as the great Nick Lelouch would say, uh, announcing their presence with authority. Yeah. Before I let you go, I want to ask you about the baseball team because they're going to play a yet another SEC series against another top 25-ranked opponent. And the, the schedule gets easier for them because the Mississippi schools are down and the two Alabama programs are down, and that's how they have the schedule on the back end. Uh, what has stood out the most to you so far about Jay Johnson's team and what gives you any concern at all about the number one ranked team in the country? Uh, what stood out about this team is uh, they really think they're out of a game, as we saw last week at South Carolina, uh, the late rally when, you know. i tell you one thing. There's nobody on that team, I'd, expect me, except for the the obvious, the you know, Cruz and Tommy Tanks. There's nobody on this, that team I would have had it. Rather have the plate with the bases loaded with two outs against South Carolina than Gavin Dugas. The kids, the kids, one of the greatest clutch hitters in LSU history. I mean, the, the, the track record shows it. I mean, he, he, in all his past years at LSU, and then this year at, 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 at Texas, knocked the dinger, won that game. Uh, the, the grand slam in South Carolina is probably his career highlight. Uh, that and LSU came back and won that game. I think LSU's ability to kind of 
to wear down pitchers and get, and get uh, the second, third times through a lineup and, and 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 finding ways to win if their pitching can hold together. That's the problem right now. Honestly, it's a problem. They got one, you know, they got one. It, it's tough to judge a pitching because you, you, you compare everything to, to Paul Skeens, and Paul Skeens is a freak. <laughs> I mean, he's going to strike out a bunch of human beings, and they, they have a chance to win every time he gets to the mound. The rest of the guys, not so much. Ty Floyd, shaky. The the Sunday starter's been shaky. Uh, they, they have got three guys. Three. I mean, Garrett Edwards, Chase Shores, and Ackerhausen are out with injuries. Uh, Ackerhausen is one of their better pitchers. His is a hamstring. He may be back sooner than anybody else. Uh, Chase Shores has been out. Uh, the guys we tried out last night, Bryce Collins, that was his fourth or fifth best uh, in a row, good performance as a relief pitcher, like for uh, 2.2 innings. The rest of the guys he tried out there, I, I, every time they tried out Blake Money, Riley Cooper, and now Thatcher Hurd, I'm thinking you better go get yourself some more runs offense because these guys are that consistent. Christian Little has been not been very good either. Their relievers really haven't have let them down, and it's it's kind of like like while they've lost four SEC games, honestly, uh, relief relief pitching really hasn't held together for them. That's their biggest concern right now. Uh, <clears throat> finding some relief pitching and finding somebody who can get them to a, off to a better starts on the, in, in game twos and game threes. Uh, Todd Floyd's a battler, but still you're giving up a bunch of runs early and you're putting your team in a hole. And he needs to find simply find a new a new third game starter. I mean, he really does. Uh, I agree, Todd brother. Floyd. I agree. Hey, get you out of here with this quickly. I only got about 30 seconds. Poll question of the day is our foodie poll question of the week. Uh, what is macaroni and cheese to you? Is it a side dish? Is it an entree? Is it a late night snack? Or is it all of the above? It all depends what you put in it and how much, how many different types of cheese you put in it and what else you ever want to put in it. I mean, uh, crawfish mac and cheese, crab mac and cheese, every time. But make sure you put different types of cheeses in it and get a good hard brown crust. Oh, so you like yours baked, my friend. Bake it with a good hard brown crust that's crunchy uh, and different types of cheeses. There we know. go. There we go. Thank you, Mad Dog. <laughs> Enjoy your weekend, bud. <laughs> See you. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Go subscribe to the game's YouTube channel, At The Game Louisiana. That way you can check out the latest original videos and more shenanigans from the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Our poll question of the day on Wednesday is our foodie poll question of the week. What type of dish is macaroni and cheese? Is it a side dish? Is it an entree? Is it a late night snack or is it all of the above? Right now, 51% of you say side dish. 49% say all of the above. JPK the OD says mac and cheese with grilled sausage, otherwise affectionately known as crack and cheese by my peeps. It's a meal. He sent a photo. It looks amazing. It's just amazing. I love that. 
phenomenal salty steve says it depends on your income when i was first out on my own it was dinner at least three nights a week since then i don't remember eating it three times <laughs> salty steve my brand my man likes living a certain lifestyle the notorious dub says nighttime me says yes my wife says oh jesus god no <laughs> keep those votes coming on our foodie poll question of the week, which is always our poll question of the day on Wednesdays. What type of dish is macaroni and cheese? Keep those votes coming. Keep those comments coming. Two hours are now in the books. Final hour still to come. Going to talk Raging Cajuns with Jay Walker. That's next right here on The Game. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Everything, everything, everything gonna be all right this morning. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Iserlow and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Final hour of today's show has arrived as it makes it itself to 8.03 on the clock. Coming up half an hour from right now, Andrew Juge will join us from the Saints Happy Hour podcast to talk all things New Orleans Saints. Don't forget to go vote on our poll question of the day. Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter as well. But right now, it's time for us to talk all things vermilion and white with the longtime voice of the Louisiana Raging Cajuns. Jay Walker joins us now here on RP3 and Company. Jay, good morning to you, bud. How are you? I am terrific. And how are you, sir? I am stupendous. All right, brother, let's start. Cajuns are now have won six straight games following last night's 10-5 midweek win over Louisiana Tech. What has stood out to you the most about Matt Diggs' team during this stretch? Well, especially the last four, um, I just think they played really good baseball. Uh, you know, you go back to that series with Marshall, they got three quality starts from uh, from the, the pitching staff. They made one error the whole weekend, and they hit five bombs uh, over at that ballpark. Well, that's, uh, that's a recipe for wins, and they got three of them last night. You know, once again, um, they didn't get a, a great start, but um, but Rawls and Fluno were terrific. And once again, the bats really coming alive. And, um, you know, as a result, they've won six in a row. I, the thing I think that pleases me the most, Ray, is that we're seeing Will Vaughn and Max Marshak come out of it. They're starting to get key hits. They're starting to hit the ball hard. Those were two guys that were floundering 150, 160. They're hovering around 200 now. Marshak got another home run last night. Those are the two guys you've been waiting because those have been the holes in your lineup. If those holes get filled, this team's now pretty good one through nine. And, right, the the lineup was always dangerous. Now they're filling in a few of those holes as well. And, you know, the, the other thing that has stood out to me throughout this entire season is this. The lineup can find different ways to beat you, Right. It's just not always with the long ball or with extra base hits. If they can, if they need to play small, they can. 
They find multiple ways to beat you, Jay, and that gives you such an advantage for Matt Deggs come the conference tournament or come an NCAA regional when you're having to play so many games and facing so many different opponents. Being able to have that versatility with your lineup is huge. Yeah, it really is. You know, and, it, you know, certainly you can't wait to get Kyle DeBarge back, okay, because he's, he's so important to this team. But what it's done is it's given more guys opportunities. We've seen Peyton LeGeron get a few opportunities and do well. C.J. Willis is, is becoming very, very consistent. Um, you know, Zambo is outstanding defensively and, you know, is also a, you know, a, a threat at the plate. But, man, I got to tell you, the guy who's really starting to stand out to me, and I think he's the MVP of the team right now, and that's John Taylor. Um, you know, he had to go ahead and move over to shortstop when DeBarge went down. He's been great defensively. He hit his fifth home run last night. He's third on the team in RBIs, even though he hasn't been a guy who, at the beginning of the season, was starting player. And he has... Um, He's really stepped up. He's stepped up, and he's become a feared hitter in that lineup. I'm not sure we saw that coming early in the season. It feels like, Jay, at this point now, that Deggs is maybe finally has set his rotation with the three guys, of course, leading off with Hammond as the Friday night starter and McGahee as the guy that closes out the series. Do you think the rotation is now set moving forward? Yeah. Uh, yeah, until they show otherwise. You know, um, he's going to keep Mizzou on Saturday, so so McGee will go Sunday uh, this week. But yeah, you know, I you know he's been waiting for McGee. You know, at the beginning of the year, Deggs told me he thought McGee could be a star before this this his whole career ends, and he's just a redshirt freshman. Uh, and then he had you know he had some issues and, and had to be on the shelf for a little while. But he's healthy now, and I really liked what I saw up at Marshall. I, you know, we, we got a really, really good look from our vantage point. He throws so effortlessly. He's got the really good breaking ball to go and he can pitch off his fastball. Uh, I understand why Deggs likes him as much as he does. And as long as he's healthy and ready to go, I think he's locked down that third spot. We're talking with Jay Walker, longtime voice of the Louisiana Raging Cajuns. He joins us here on RP3 and company. Once again, Cajuns baseball team, Picked up its sixth straight victory last night as they defeated in-state rival Louisiana Tech. They have another midweek game tonight on the road, making the short drive over to Hammond to take on southeastern Louisiana before returning home for a three-game series against Troy. What do you make of the Trojans and what they've been able to do so far to this point of the season? Troy's been an interesting team to me. They got off to a tremendous start. Um playing mostly at home and you know that ballpark is is very conducive to being able to hit the long ball it's very similar to jc love field up in ruston as far as dimensions and stuff are concerned um they've continued to hit well their pitching's been solid but not spectacular the the thing that's crazy about troy uh and it's the it's the thing that's really kind of the drawback for them they are the worst defensive team in the league and that's saying something because normally they're one of the best defensive teams in the league, but they've really struggled defensively uh, this year. I think they've been fairly consistent in the other parts of their game. I think Troy's a solid club. 
Um, I don't think they're one of the top three teams in the league, but I do think they're a solid club. Uh, the Cajuns, of course, are going to be pretty motivated because they went to Troy and got swept last year. So you know that they're going to want that series uh, over at Teagmore Field this weekend. But, but Troy's solid. They're, they're you know, um, William Sullivan, uh, I think, is one of the, the league's best hitters and one of the league's best power guys. And, um, you know, kind of like Louisiana Tech, you know, the Cajuns are going to have to try to keep the ball in the ballpark. And if they can't keep the ball in the ballpark, make sure that they're doing it with nobody on base because Troy's very capable of hitting the long ball. As it stands this morning, Louisiana and Coastal Carolina are the two best teams in the Sun Belt Conference standings, Old Dominion right there behind them. Are you surprised by that? And is your surprise due to the fact that Southern Miss is not has not been playing great baseball this season so far? Well, they haven't been great, and at the same time, they're right there. Uh, Southern Miss has played a very difficult conference schedule so far. And the, the, the schedule is about to lighten up for Southern Miss considerably. Um, so, you know, we can talk about, you know, ODU and we can talk about Coastal, and I think both of them are very good. But, you know, if, if, you're, if you're kind of downplaying or diminishing Southern Miss, you shouldn't, because I think they're going to be right there at the end. Um, they have the league's best Friday night guy uh, in Tanner Hall, and they've got a lineup that hasn't been quite as scary as maybe it was a year ago, but their, their lineup is still very capable. Um, when, when we go to Hattiesburg at the end of the season, I have a feeling that somebody's going to be playing for first place. Um, it could be one team. It could be both teams. We'll see. But they're not going away, dude. No, and look, they just have too much experience and too much talent to not be a factor, right? I mean, and sure. and you're right. When you look at their part of the schedule, it's about to lighten up. Um, when you look at the conference as a whole, you know, you expect Southern Miss to, to be there at the end. Coastal's had a good start. Obviously, the Cajuns are off to a very good start as well. There's still plenty of conference play left on the docket. But who's a team that maybe we're not talking enough about in the Sunbelt Conference as it stands right now, in your opinion, Jay? Well, you know, I think I just mentioned one of them because really we're not talking a whole lot about Southern Miss right now, which is kind of a surprise. Um, you know, the other team is uh, is Georgia Southern. If you look at what – they've gone through a gauntlet with their early season schedule. Okay, they opened up with South Alabama. They won three. But they've had to play Coastal. They've had to play Southern Miss. They've, they've had to play ODU. Um, they're 6-6 six and six right now. But you talk about another schedule that's lightening up considerably. I, um, With six losses, I don't know how many more losses they're going to take, but I'm not going to be surprised if they're maybe 14-4 and four in the last six weeks. Uh, because, again, this is – now, the thing about Georgia Southern is They've gotten beaten up a little bit, and because of that, you don't know about their psyche um, because they're sitting there as a 500-team overall and a 500-team in conference play. But I still think that's a good ball club. They've got one of the better relievers in Jay Thompson. Uh, they've got several guys back from last year who, um, who were very, very good uh, offensively. Cheryl, their second baseman, uh, is one of the best hitters in the entire league. And I think that you're going to see them – 
start to make a move because finally their schedule's lightening up a little bit. Jay, we'll get you out of here with a softball question. I know you were on the call for baseball, and you, you, but you do pay attention to what Jerry Glasgow's team does. Uh, they fall just short of getting a win yesterday at Baylor. Fought hard. That's a, that's a good matchup for them, a top 25, top 15 ranked opponent. They'll get another chance at that type of win when they take on Texas A&M tonight. Do you believe that even if they don't win the game against Texas A&M tonight, do you still believe the Louisiana Raging Cajuns will have a strong enough resume to host an NCAA regional if they win the conference? That's a very good question and one that I don't have an answer for. I think tonight's game's huge. You know, you've played... As it stands right now, I think the third toughest schedule in America. The problem is you haven't won enough of those games against the high-caliber teams. And I think when it comes time to sort out uh, who's going to host, that works against the Cajuns. And, and, you know, I don't know if tonight's a must-win, but, boy, they really need to get themselves another signature win. And it's going to be hard to do that after tonight. So, I think this is a big one. Um, can they lose tonight? Still host? Maybe. But I wouldn't count on it uh, if they don't get this win tonight. They still could do it because their overall resume is going to be good and their RPI is going to be terrific, provided they take care of their business the rest of the way in conference. Because really, they don't play anybody the rest of the season that has an RPI worse than 100. So the, the strength of schedule is going to stay there for them. But, again, when they sit down and they say, okay, how did you do against the top 25? And if you played 10 games and you're 2-8 and eight or 3-7, and seven, that doesn't work in your favor. So we'll see. But it would behoove them to get this one tonight. Jay, appreciate your time as always, brother. Uh, enjoy the little road trip over to Hammond and then enjoy the three-game set this weekend at the Teague, my friend. I'm looking forward to it. And, as always, thank you for having me. And go Cajuns. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Here on RP3 and Company, we talk about the sports you know and love. Baseball, football, basketball, and soccer. Isn't this great, man? I love soccer. Here we go, Galaxy. Here we go. Okay, maybe not soccer. But we'll try to do our best. Back to more knowledgeable sports talk with RP3 and company on On the the game. game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Houston Astros, as our guy Kevin Foote would say, had to pay the piper yesterday. Right, beat the Pirates eight to two on Monday to begin the three-game road series, and the defending World Series champs were on the losing end of a seven-four loss last night, and it was in dramatic fashion as Pirates rookie Bay hits a game-ending three-run blast in the ninth inning to win the game. And what's funny about this game is that Pittsburgh was leading 4-2 to entering the ninth. They kept Houston in check. 
Chaz McCormick, who people couldn't wait to get out of the lineup, by the way, but he's actually played really well as the starting center fielder for the Houston Astros. Hit a tying one-out, two-run double off of Pittsburgh's closer, who blew his first save opportunity in five chances. So, boom. There we go. 4-4. Tied up the ball game. McCormick comes through, just like he did in the World Series when he made that great catch. People wanted McCormick playing. By the way, Jake Myers is the guy that everyone was mad at, especially Kevin Foote. Some people wanted Jake Myers, though, because they thought Jake was a better option because they thought Jake would have a better bat. Yeah, I didn't hear much of that to start this season, but in the past, I mean, Jake Myers had a... I don't fully understand the, the hatred for Jake Myers that I've seen this season, but, you know, anyway, Chaz is the guy moving Chaz forward. is the guy, right? Chaz is the guy. Uh, look, is he is he going to be an all-star? No, but he's going to... He can be a nice... He's been very good for them to start the season with the extra responsibility put on his shoulders. Plus, he's really good with the glove, man. Like... I'll take a center fielder who may not be a, a 30 home run guy, but if he can play defense like Chaz does, I'll, I'll take that all day long. But in the bottom of the ninth, Castro leads off, gets a single off of Ryan Presley. Pinch hitter Andrew McCutcheon. Oh, man. It's great, it's great to see Andrew back in a Pittsburgh Pirates uniform. Singled with one out before Babe drove a 2-2 changeup. A whopping 403 feet to the right center field for his second career home run and first walk-off hit. Once again, Strohs, 5-7 and seven on the season. They always start off slow. They always struggle, right? They got some hits in yesterday's game. Bregman homered in the first, which was nice to see. Kyle Tucker went deep in the second as they took an early lead. But, you know, Bregman also got a double, which was nice. It's about the long game with the Astros, okay? Losing to the Pirates, yeah, that stinks. I get it. But having Breggs finally get on track is a big deal. He had a home run, had a double, because he entered yesterday's game batting a healthy 163. So, if getting Breggs on track... If you're an Astros fan, you're going to take that over a win over the Pirates in April. Just saying. Put things in perspective here. Getting your all-star third baseman and World Series champion going is far more important than winning against the Pittsburgh Pirates. Presley has not been good to start the season, but it's a long season, right? He's 0 for 2. His ERA is north of eight. You don't want the guy that's supposed to be coming in to close the door to be pitching that way, but they have one of the best bullpens in baseball. It's a long season. Give it time. Got to give Bregman time to get going. This team will find its way. Altuve will be back. Michael Brantley will be back. It'll be fine. I get it. Six straight ALCS appearances. Four trips to the World Series, two World Series wins. You're not patient, even though you should be, because your franchise has shown you over and over again. Just be patient. They'll get out of this funk. They're always funky in April. I get it. You're impatient because Astros fans are a little spoiled. 
right now because of this great run. But pay attention to your team and what they always do. Right? Yeah, it's fine. Alex Bregman, first half in his career, 263 hitters. Second half of the season, 295. And April slash March, which are combined into one month because, of course, you usually only play maybe one or two games in March. Um, lowest average of any month in the season, 255 Correct. career in April and March. It's, it's, He's always awful right. to start it's off the season. It's documented, and, and there's just nothing to really see there. Presley, I'm not worried either. I, I hate when closers come in in non-safe situations. Um, some seem to react to it better than others. Presley hasn't ever been great in those situations from my memory. I don't have the numbers in front of me to back him up, but comes in in a tie ball game, and I don't have a ton of confidence when he does that. It's just, And I don't know, it's a mentality thing. Closers are always... You know, usually guys that are wired a certain way, and they like getting those three outs with their lead in hand so they can do their little save celebration and head back to the clubhouse. You put them in tie games, it seems to not go well, but um, he'll be fine. The bullpen in general is, you know, the slightest bit of concern. That's the area you maybe are questioning in general. But for now, I think they're going to be fine. And, you know, look, I wouldn't be surprised if they add an arm down the road here, and I think um, everything will be all well as you get towards the race. Knowing who their GM is, because your team got them from my team, there will be a, a deal made at the deadline. <laughs> That's going to happen. Just giving you a heads up, Astro fan. Your new GM will be making a deal at the deadline. More than likely, it will probably be for an arm. Whether that's a starter or another guy in the bullpen, they will be aggressive and make a move to strengthen their opportunities to try to win back-to-back World Series titles. Yeah, and shy of some injury issues, it will definitely be a reliever because the starting rotation is already crowded enough and McCullers is going to be back. So, you know, I think, look, that's the other thing, too. If everyone stays healthy, that's unlikely, though, because of today's day and age. Absolutely. But if everyone's healthy, you might end up having a guy like Hunter Brown in the bullpen because of just the number of arms you have when McCullers comes back. Maybe maybe Luis Garcia goes to the bullpen. Christian Javier's been in the bullpen. Like, there's going to be – you're not going to have a seven-man rotation, so somebody's going to be – Correct. Converted or sent down or something. But you you can't have enough pitching. Right, and and history will tell us that, A, McCullers is no guarantee, and, you know – the rest of those guys, while none of them being particularly injury prone, chances are one of them is going to miss a chunk of the season. That's just kind of how baseball is. So That is correct. It's a luxury to have seven or eight guys right now that you can give starts to and be confident about. But once again, you know this because you're a baseball guy, which is always refreshing to have a young person here that's an actual baseball guy. So you understand the game. You also understand it's 162. It's a long season. They don't play for the world championship until October. It is April the 12th. It is 162, and I don't love that it's 162. I think it drags on at times, and I have an idea to kind of freshen that up, and I'm going to get to that later in the week. So don't you worry. I'll have a proposal for you. Oh, a little D-Lo tease there. Look at my man. My man's ready to bring something new to the table. Astros will be back in action today, and you can listen to it live right here on The Game. At the Pirates, pregame begins at 11, first pitch scheduled for 11.35. That means no Jim Rome today, no Jordy Holberg. Right after footnotes with Kevin Foote, it's going to be Astros pregame rolling into Astros first pitch right here on the game. So make sure to keep it locked in for that. we got to take a timeout. When we return here on RP3 and Company, we're going to talk New Orleans Saints football with Andrew Juge of the Saints Half Hour Podcast. That's next right here on the game.
This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is RP3 and Company, live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Don't forget to vote on the poll question of the day. It's our foodie poll question of the week. What type of dish is macaroni and cheese to you? What type of dish is mac and cheese to you? Is it just a side dish? Is it an entree? Is it a late night snack? Or is it all of the above? Right now, dead heat. 50-50. Side dish. All of the above. Keep those votes coming. We need to crown a winner. Keep those comments coming as well on Facebook and Twitter, and we'll share them before we sign off on today's show. Also, programming reminder, Astros at Pirates. Pre-game begins at 11. First pitch, 11.35 right here on the game. Then tonight, the McNeese Coaches show will begin at 6 o'clock with host Jim Gazzolo live from Lake Chuck. So make sure to stay tuned for all of that greatness. But right now, it's time for to make this show go from good, very good, to great by welcoming on our friend from the Saints Half Hour podcast, Andrew Juge. Andrew, good morning. Hope you had a tremendous Easter with the family, my friend. How are you? No, I sure did. I'm good. And look, I've been thinking about your poll question. And look, of course, it can be a meal. I think it's all of the above. It could certainly be a side dish. I think we all agree on that. You can throw some lobster in there, make it an entree. Oh, there we go. Uh, nothing better than lobster mac and cheese for oh, my money. There we uh, go. But uh, look, I'm, it's all the above, man. All right. I want to talk about something that you guys have talked about on the pod, and that's Mr. Carter from Georgia. Uh, he's going to be probably the most fascinating prospect heading into the draft in a few weeks. Where is he going to go? Is he going to fall out of the top 10? How far will he fall? Will, will teams even care about the off-the-field accident that occurred that he was affiliated with? We know he's a freakish athlete. You guys make the point and you discuss on the pod that he is worth the risk. Why do you believe that and why do you think he would be a good fit for the Saints? Well, look, first of all, uh, I, I have to say I, I'm, we'll see if he falls out of the top ten. Uh, I'm looking at the draft order right now, and, and the Raiders are picking seventh. And, man, Raymond, if this guy's not destined and born to be a Raider, I, I don't know who is. So uh, <laughs> I don't know if he gets past the Raiders at seven, just based off the off-the-field stuff. But, yeah, I mean, he's a freakish talent. And, and look, at any time a guy slides in the draft and you're picking at 29, I think anything's a risk, right? Like he, either at 29 you get – a really solid player that was really productive in, in college, but maybe he has an injury risk or maybe he has like, he it's uncertain if physically he can make that leap to the next level. Uh, or you get a guy where he's a freakish talent, you know, he's going to be successful physically. And it's just like, it's, it's in between the years or maybe there's off the field stuff. So I feel like anytime you're picking outside of the top 10, it's a risk anyway. 
And, and so it's really about being comfortable with that risk. Of course, you have to interview the player. You have to feel good about his mental makeup. Is he a good learner? Is he going to be good in the locker room? Uh, but ultimately, I, I think, first of all, he plays at a position of need for the Saints. And, you know, look, it's great that they added a couple free agents and Saunders and Shepard in free agency to get a couple defensive tackles to replace what they lost. But you're talking about a guy that could make an immediate impact on the field. You're talking about a guy that's an immediate starter for the Saints. And look, that's hard to get when you're picking 29th overall. So I don't think he's going to be there at 29. I don't think he slides that far. But if he starts to slide, I mean, look, we'd be stupid to, to think that the Saints aren't going to trade up. And, and if they believe that their biggest need is replenishing the defensive line, either at edge or at defensive tackle, just getting a guy that can affect the passer, uh, then if Jalen Carter starts to slide and he's there at 17, 18, 19, that starts to get in the zone where you package that third round pick or maybe your pick at 40 and, and you move up to go get him. I don't think he's going to be there. I, and I know there's a lot of buzz about him falling. Usually when guys fall in the draft, specifically in the first round, we don't see it coming. That's how it usually happens. And when we expect a guy to fall, he doesn't. So the fact that everyone's talking about, well, he may fall, leads me to believe that Carter is not even going to be anywhere remotely near 20. <laughs> so I agree with you. Here's another discussion topic. You know, a, a lot of people, and I've had, I've done this in two mock drafts for the Saints. I, I've had them because in my mock draft simulator, the young man out of Pittsburgh is still there. I think he's a special talent. A lot of other people believe that as well. But if you're going by the New Orleans Saints, Mickey Loomis defensive line prototype, the kid from Pittsburgh, Clancy, does not fit that mold, right? The Saints like to get guys who are like six foot four, six foot five, six foot six, 270 pounds, all the way up to like 285 pounds. That's what they like to do. So if the kid from Pittsburgh is not their prototype, and let's say Carter's off the board, who are some of the prospects at defensive end that really kind of fit the Saints mold that they would take? Well, you know, it's interesting. So first of all, yeah, I think the, the smallest defensive tackle I think they've ever taken is like 6'2", 290. And Kalijah Kansi out of Pittsburgh, who you just talked about, he's 6'1", and he's 285. So he kind of is below the minimum on both regards. Uh, but look, I, I think the tape is most important. We, we know in Brandon Cooks, the Saints have made exceptions to their size prototypes before. Now, that's a little bit different of a position, right? Receiver being small at that position is different than being small defensive tackle. But he occupies a space that, you know, again, we talk about affecting the pass rusher. I think in Saunders and Malcolm Roach and Shepard, they have kind of the big mammoth space-eating defensive tackles. Cansey would occupy a different kind of space. He's more of a gap player. He's more of a pocket pusher. He's more of a pass rusher. So I think he could have a role – on this team where he comes in on third and five or he comes in obvious pass rushing downs. But the thing for me with that is, do you really want to pick a guy in the first round that would have a limited role where like, he's got to come off the field on third and one, he's got to come off the field on first and 10, you know, th those sorts of things. So to me, that that's why I kind of pause. And again, you mentioned the prototypes and how much the saints kind of care about that. To me, that that's a reason why, they might not take him. Um, now, there's a number of guys, I think, 
in the draft that they could look at. And uh, look, I, I think the guy out of Georgia Tech, he, he may Keon White, he may be available at uh, at forty. You know, so when you're picking at twenty nine, like there, there's some options there. Uh, Breesy out of Clemson and the defensive tackle is another guy they could look at. Uh, I, I really like the defensive end out of Notre Dame. I've been talking about him for a while. So look, there, there's a number of players there, uh, but th- that's the difficulty in picking 29. And I, I've been told in the past that the Saints really don't do any mock drafts at all until the week of the draft, uh, because you know so much information changes, so much comes out uh, off the field stuff, pro days. There's, there's so much that kind of information that comes in at the last minute that their internal policy has always been no mock drafts until the end. And then they would go really hard that last week before the draft. And they want to kind of prepare themselves for all the scenarios. And look, when you're picking 29, um, you have to be prepared for everything. I remember several years ago, they, they ran a hundred mock drafts and Ryan Ramchick was available at 32 in one of them. And I remember the Saints talking about that, like that, that it happened one out of a hundred times. And sure enough on draft day, he falls to 32. They take him. Uh, They felt like there was a 1% chance that would play out and they were fortunate enough to get him. And then obviously he's had a great career since. So, you know, I think you want to be prepared for the possibility. Like we talk about these guys that may fall, but you also need your contingencies. All right. What if none of these guys fall and we're kind of left with a bunch of guys that we kind of like, but we don't feel great about. And do you go ahead and make that pick or, you know, if the board's not kind of falling like it needs to, do you go move up to make sure you get a guy you really like? We're talking with Andrew Jude of the Saints Happy Hour podcast. He's also a contributing columnist for 1037thegame.com. He joins us here on RP3 and Company. You know, uh, lots of talk in the last month or so ramping up for the draft about, you know, the Saints' traditional love for Tennessee volunteer players. Lots of talk about Hendon Hooker and and everything like that. But when I think of a guy that played for the Volunteers last season that fits the Saints perfectly, I don't think about Hooker and I don't think about Hyatt. I think about Cedric Tillman. And if you look at his RAS score, it's nearly identical to what Michael Thomas's was coming out of college at Ohio State. What's the likelihood that the Saints could draft the other wide receiver from Tennessee? Well, it's funny. So, you know, my son is he's 12 and he is a Hyatt super fan and he he wants the Saints to draft to draft Hyatt at, at all costs. He wants to move up in, in the first round and take him. I, I think he falls to 40, but my son doesn't appreciate that. Uh, but, you know, I try to explain to him, look, the Saints have Alave. They have Shahid and they kind of fit a similar profile. So you don't want to have multiple guys that kind of do the same thing. And you're right, Cedric Tillman, I mean, six foot three, 213 pounds physically. He kind of fits that Michael Thomas uh, frame and, and, and style of play. And, uh, you know, he runs pretty fast. I mean, he's not a burner, uh, but he comes from NFL bloodlines. And he's a guy that I just think you look at him and physically he has those traits. Uh, he has great body control. He has fantastic ball skills. He can make those contested catches. And so Dennis Allen and his presser at the end of the year, they asked him what was kind of what happened? Why, why did this team go seven and ten? And the first thing he said was, we didn't have a contested catch receiver this year. Mm-hmm. And obviously Michael Thomas's injury was a big deal. But I think it's telling that that was kind of the first thing on his mind. Um, 
And look, they, they've made some moves in free agency, but I don't know that obviously bringing Michael Thomas is back is important, but I don't know that Michael Thomas can be counted on to be healthy. And so it, if he is unhealthy again this year, they still don't really necessarily have a contested catch guy they can count on. I think Cedric Tillman would be a great pick. I Obviously, you don't pick him at 29, uh, but if he's available at the right spot, at the right value later in the draft, absolutely. That would be a tremendous pick for the Saints. I would take him all day long in the uh, second round. One more question, and look, th- this is what I call mock season is also better known as lying season because so much misinformation is put out there. And teams and agents use visits with teams as a way of doing that, right? It's a game inside the game, preparing for the draft. But I like the kid out of UCLA, the running back. Apparently the Saints like him enough to bring him in for a visit. What's the likelihood that the Saints could use one of their earlier picks in the you know first three rounds on the running back out of UCLA? Yeah, Zach Charbonnet is a, is a tremendous talent, a very productive back in college. Uh, and, and so, yeah, I think it, when you look at these guys, uh, I, I think unless, obviously, if Bijan Robinson were to fall to 29, and I absolutely don't think he will, uh, I think you sprint to the podium. Because uh, that, that's the one guy where I would say in the first round that I, I, w- I would pick him if he fell to you. Beyond that, I actually think there's a ton of backs I like in the draft. Um, you know, Ty J Spears, a lot of Saints fans talk about him. He, he might be a little bit smaller than what I would want. I really like Dwayne McBride out of UAB. I do Hank too. Bigsby out of Auburn's a pounder. He's so, so there, there's a lot of options. And I guess when I look at running back, I feel like there's a lot of players. And so you don't really have to force it. You can wait until the fourth round, maybe even the fifth to take a guy. And I think you could probably get a guy that will be, uh, a good change of pace back for you that it, that will be somewhat productive. So I don't know that the Saints have to force it early because of the depth at that position. And running back tends to not be overdrafted. Teams kind of let running backs fall because there's a lot of them and, and you know, they kind of share the load. And so to me, the only superstar back where I, I look at Bijan Robinson, I'm like, yes, that guy will be a 1,000-yard rusher in the league. And, and after that, I think there's a lot of guys that could be good, a lot of talent, uh, but there's no clear, I would spend a first-round pick, I would spend a second-round pick. So I absolutely think the Saints need to leave this draft with a running back. That's a categorical for me. But I think they can be patient and wait for the right situation. Yeah, and you mentioned the UAB kid. I also like the kid out of Texas A&M as well. So there's there's a wealth of talented backs in this year's draft. Uh, Quickly, I got about 45 seconds. Uh, what Ohio State player is going to be drafted by the Saints? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, you know, I was hoping it would be Stroud, but obviously uh, he's going to be long gone before the Saints pick. But uh, I'm a big fan of him, and it'll be interesting to see. I mean, you, you see some mocks like, uh, you know, Jackson Smith, Najigba uh, out of uh, Ohio State. You know, the receiver. He, he's a guy that I could see potentially falling to 29 it's weird because he was injured all of last year and he's a guy where he, he didn't play much but some people have him going in the top 15 so that's a guy when you talk about people falling like it's really hard to kind of tell where he would drop it you know, this isn't a great year for Ohio State in terms of just the talent that they have in the draft outside of Stroud there's not a ton of guys where you're like oh yeah this guy's a dead ringer to be on the Saints and He's a guy that they would prioritize moving up to go get. So 
I, I'm going to go hot take here, Raymond, and I'm going to say this is the first time in a while that the Saints actually don't take a player from Ohio State. And, uh, look, they're going to have to make up for it next year with, like, three or four because that would be unacceptable. But, uh, but I do think maybe this is the year they don't pick an Ohio State player. Brother, appreciate your time as always, bud. We'll talk to you next week. Always a pleasure. Thanks, Raymond. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. RP3 is known across Acadiana as a master of the English language. You look at all the guys that they got. Clinton Anukoraru, oof, and I don't know how to pronounce this young man's name. TJ Falola. More like a master of broken English, that is. They also added an inside linebacker, Casey Wasawi. These names are killing me, man. I even practiced <laughs> last night. Me fail English? That's impossible. Now back to that silky smooth delivery of RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Uh, if you're needing to freshen up your bathrooms with a show-stopping cultured marble shower or tub surround, look no further than my friends over at Lafayette Marble and Granite. For a limited time this spring, you can get LMG's premier line of inventory priced at their classic line's cost. That means free upgrades during their April Showers Bring May Flowers campaign. From their new line of grout-free showers, perfect for that growing active teenager of yours, to customizable pet showers, LMG has you covered. Look, this isn't your mama's cultured marble. Marble. This is high-end, stylish, and long-lasting marble provided at an affordable price. Visit LMGElite.com today to learn more about all the high-quality products and tremendous services they have to offer. Once again, visit LMGElite.com or stop by their showroom on I-49 North across from Hub City Ford in the Jockey Lot. Whether it's show-stopping marble countertops for your bathrooms or a custom shower build, Lafayette Marble and Granite is looking to earn your business, and trust me, earn it, they will. I want to take a moment to thank our guest, Ron Higgins from Tiger Details, Jay Walker, longtime voice of the Louisiana Raging Cajuns, and Andrew Jude from the Saints Half Hour podcast for joining us today. Our poll question of the day is our foodie poll question of the week on Wednesday. What type of dish is macaroni and cheese? 52% of you say side dish. 48% say it's a side dish, an entree, and a late night snack. Robert Duplashan says, all of the above. I love mac and cheese. Houdat Forever says, mac and cheese is a goat-level side dish. It's also a great main course if you're starving at 9.30, haven't eaten since lunch, and there's nothing else to eat in the fridge. <laughs> Thanks to all who commented on the poll question of the day. Thanks to all who voted as well. That's going to do it for today's edition of RP3 and Company. We'll be back on tomorrow, 6 to 9. But until then... Be safe out there. Be kind to one another. Kevin Foot and Footnotes is up next right here on The Game.